This podcast is brought to you by AJ Bell and Shares Magazine. Shares Magazine is published by AJ Bell Media, part of AJ Bell. Hello and welcome to this week's Money and Markets podcast. I'm Danny Hewson and with me in the hot seat for the first part of the pod is Dan Coatesworth. Hi, Dan. Hi, Danny. It's been quite a week for the markets after not one but two US banks collapsed, creating huge turmoil in global financial markets. Thus, Credit Suisse revealed material weakness in its financial reporting, which only served to ratchet up the tension. Just to add to the mix, we had the latest US inflation figures, which showed headline prices are falling slowly, but the all-important core number was up a tad, raising the question, what will the Fed think is more important to deal with next week? Because investors are betting on a rate hike slowdown. And of course, we've got your budget special this week on the podcast with some post-game analysis from Tom Selby, AJ Bell's head of retirement policy, digging into all those changes to the lifetime allowance. And head of investment analysis, Laith Calaf, will also be looking at the big picture. Plus 30 hours free childcare extended to children from nine months old, though you'll have to wait a few years for the full scheme to be rolled out. It's another of those measures designed to pull more people back into the labour market. There's a bit of good news on energy bills as the government price guarantee is frozen at £2,500. So there's absolutely loads to get through today. And despite the fact that it's been a year and a half since the UK's last budget and just a few chancellors later, it's the fate of a bank that most people had never heard of until last week that has to take top billing. And that is because the impact that its demise has had on global markets and the shocks just keep on coming. Dan, I can't imagine that People listening to this podcast won't have heard of Silicon Valley Bank by now, but I think it is worth starting at the beginning. Yeah, I, th- I definitely agree there. I mean, I, I, I'll do this as quickly as I can. Um, it's been everywhere because <laughs> it's convoluted, it is one, isn't it? Yeah, but it, it is one of those sort of quite tricky situations. And trying, it's, it's important to get your head around it. So, um, essentially, this is this is a a bank which lent money to um, sort of technology companies, venture capital companies. Um, and, what, and, and in recent years, it, it's kind of, we've seen this sort of big boom in growth for, sort of, for all things sort of tech. And of course, the bank has found that its customers were depositing lots and lots of money with it. So it had to go and do something with all this cash. Um, and so it went invested in some bonds and unfortunately did this just as the interest rates started to to go up and of course that drove down the value of the bond so we, we found we had a mismatch in between the deposits it had and the loans it was making out so um unfortunately what it had to do is go out and borrow money at higher rates um quite similar to what northern rock had to do um back before the global financial crisis and that proved its undoing second the bank was taking in short-term deposits and investing them in these long-term assets like loans to companies and government bonds. So really, you've got a, a mishmash of um, you know, things going on here. And ultimately, it's down to making some poor decisions about how um, that, that money has been invested. Um, so when customers came along and said, you know, we'd like to withdraw some money, please, the bank had to sell some of these long-term bond holdings at a loss to raise the cash to meet these withdrawals. So um 
it, it, it sort of the market got hold of this information, you know, and thought, hang on, what, what does this really mean? Um, and thought, okay, if there's going to be a full blown run on the bank, you know, that could be catastrophic for the business. And of course, this is what happened. Um, you had a collapse in the share price and ultimately a collapse in the business. Depositors' money was then guaranteed by the authorities. HSBC bought the UK arm for a pound. So we thought initially that this is like a you know confined to just uh, Silicon Valley Bank. It was a one-off. Unfortunately, lots of questions now being asked about what is going on in the banking sector, and we're seeing across the board share prices plummeting in big names. So. Stocks that people have in their pensions like Lloyd's and HSBC and NatWest, everyone is asking, OK, who is going to be next in this sector to, to sort of um, come out with some very bad news? And I think what the, you know, it's, it's a lot of unknowns here. Lots of people trying to get their head around how on earth the, the, you know, the, the banking system works and how to identify where the problems are. But um, it, it's, it's a big problem. And of course, if, if the banks are potentially going through a difficult phase, that has really hurt general sentiment for the whole stock markets around the world. So we have just been through a very, very difficult week on the markets. And the FTSE 100, which everyone was jumping for joy about, is now down year to date when it was you know, only a few weeks ago, it was hitting new highs. And it's important to say that although we're talking about Silicon Valley Bank, it wasn't the only bank that collapsed. We also had Signature Bank in New York that collapsed. And a number of other banks suffered significant falls in the United States. Those sort of middle of the road banks, again, that many people here possibly haven't heard about. And there's been a huge amount of talk about regulation because some of the regulation on those smaller banks was rolled back during the last administration. There's now talk about putting it back. And there's been a real concerted effort by governments and regulators to reassure everyone that there is no risk of contagion. But banking stocks in particular have been pummeled. And that has sort of carried on longer than people thought it might. There was a bit of recovery after the announcement that, you know, people's deposits will be protected. And we had obviously uh, HSBC Holdings buying the UK side of um, SVP. But, you know, we've also then into the mix had an announcement by Credit Suisse. Well, yeah, its share price absolutely plummeting as we're recording this podcast. Um, its top shareholder says it's not going to put any more money in. Very concerned about the decline in valuations. Um, you know, Credit Suisse shares were already being smashed in you know recent days after it flagged restructuring issues, delays in submitting its annual report due to material weakness flagged by the SEC, and of course it was caught up in this broader industry sell-off. So. Um, I think it's important to stress that Credit Suisse has kind of been looking like it's it's facing a lot of problems for some time. You could say it's one of the weakest players in the bank, uh, you know, in the banking sector. Um, but of course, that hasn't stopped the market getting worried about everyone else. So um, I guess a few days uh, you know, at the end of last week and the start of this week, we had uh, everyone concerned primarily about what's going on in the US. Now the focus seems to be on European banks. Um, and of course, you know, it's just natural that everyone's going to look at all the other geographies as well. So um, unfortunately, this doesn't seem like this uh, this sort of situation is going to be resolved anytime soon. Um, so if you do hold shares in the banking sector or you know, just hold shares genuine in any sector, you're going to have to sit tight and be a bit patient here. Um, 
don't do anything drastic with your portfolio, but you know, you know, be, be, just be prepared for a, sort of a volatile few days ahead. I mean, volatility was something that we was talking about all the time last year. And I think a lot of people sort of thought we had the New Year rally. It seemed things were really optimistic. We had the FTSE, you know, breaking records. And now we're in a situation where things look, you know, not great at the moment. And of course, the one thing it's really done has then raised questions about what a lot of people thought was pinned on, and that is central bankers and their sort of pathway to interest rate hikes. We had a lot of people at the start of the year thinking maybe the Fed would pivot and start to slow down, and then we had the Fed saying, actually, you know, we're in it for the long haul. Now there's a lot of talk, and in fact markets seem to be pricing in that central bankers might hold back on raising interest rates higher because of what's going on, particularly in the banking sector. Well, 22nd of March is the next time that the US Federal Reserve is going to announce this decision on interest rates. So like you say, you know, it didn't seem that long ago that people were thinking, OK, well, first we thought 25 basis point hike. Then it was like, well, no, no, we're going to get 50 basis point hike, given the comments that are coming out from uh, the, the, the sort of the chair, um, Jay Powell. Now you're wondering whether you're going to get anything at all. So it's you know, the pressure is on the Fed to take its time to assess the impact of what's going on in the banking sector. We might get a 25 basis point hike because don't forget, you know, inflation is proving sticky. And the whole reason why the central bank is pushing up rates is to fight inflation. But, you know, it, you have to sort of question, is the financial system under threat? Lots of lots of people are saying, no, 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 it's not. It's just an isolated incident in, in a couple of areas. But, you know, if you go back to the financial crisis 2008 and you can just see that when the Fed is worried that the financial system is under threat, the answer is to cut rates, ease policy and do it quite significantly. So, I don't think it, you, it, the Fed is going to, have to be very careful about what it's going to say and how it acts now, because perhaps you know, even by you know, if, if, it, if it cut rates, that might actually send a signal of that it, it thinks that something really bad is happening. Um, yeah, yeah you, you just can't win, basically. It raises rates, everyone gets grumpy. If it cuts rates, everyone gets scared. So um, a difficult one to call this one. But yeah, I think, you know, more than anything, 22nd of March, that announcement is going to be so closely watched by everyone on the market. Yeah, because it's a confidence thing. And I think, you know, investors at the moment are desperately trying to grab onto any economic data that they can sort of pin their hat on and say, right, okay, well, I'm going to invest here because I know what's going to happen to that sector over the next 12 months. There's been sort of toing and froing about whether or not the UK is going to enter a recession. Now it seems like the UK is going to avoid a recession. The one thing that we do know for sure is that inflation in the US is coming down. So we had some um, numbers, CPI numbers just yesterday. So it has come down to 6%, which is an improving picture. However, as you were saying, it's the core inflation that's proving really sticky. And it sort of grabbed hold of the service sector, particularly sort of anything to do with, with rent. And it is just nudged back up again. So the price that people are paying at the pump has gone up. As I say, rent prices have gone up. There is some good news. Food prices have come down uh, a bit, but that's in terms of 
how fast they're increasing. So prices haven't come down, but the speed at which they're increasing has come down. So, you know, I think the one thing for me is that a couple of months ago, getting back to this 2% target did just seem like putting one foot in front of the other. You increased rates, inflation started to come down, you increased rates a bit more, inflation came down a bit more, and gradually you started to see this heading back towards 2%. That seems to have stalled somewhat, particularly in the United States. And there are a lot of people now sort of saying, well, is it working? Is this the right thing to do? Or does the Fed really need to to take a you know a step back anyway and and just see how it all sort of works out over the next few days? Um, because it, it, it's a very difficult balancing act that they're going to have to walk. As you say, I think people are going to be absolutely glued to the telly screens next week when we get that latest interest rate decision, and and not just for the headline decision, but also for the nuance behind the reasons for that decision. It's quite interesting in the, in the budget. Jeremy Hunt was seeming very confident about getting inflation down. Um, you know, just ca- just sort of casually rolling out these numbers, saying, "Yeah, yeah, we'll easily get it down." You know, we'll easily do the, the the plan is to halve it. We can do more than that. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it's becoming a, a sort of individual situation. The UK versus the US looking very, very different. So, um, yes, yeah, so I say it, 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 it's it's going to be a big thing, and you know, I think that investors looking at their portfolios now will be wondering, you know, you know, what should I try and do now? I mean, it's hard to sort of second guess what could be announced. I mean, but interesting to look at what's how, how things have been moving beyond the banking sector in the last week. Um, there's been lots of companies in the private equity sector have sort of fallen. And I think here is that the fear is that um, no, you know, or fewer people will want to lend to sort of risky um, loss making businesses, uh, you know, perhaps been caught up in, you know, with uh, what's been going on, their risk tolerance is, is much lower after the sort of the SVB um, crisis. But then you had names like Entain, the gambling company in Ashstead, the construction equipment business. Now, I can't see any reason you know why they would be falling. Trading seems to be fine, but I'm wondering whether these are sort of liquid stocks that are that they've done well. Maybe some people, you know, big investors are looking, saying, well, maybe we need to take some profit and stuff uh, if we're worried about what's going to market and because they're being now they're being dumped but the ones that are rising include gold miners uh gold naturally does well in time when people are worried about what's going on in the world utility companies and i think this is people going back to the idea of um you know which companies do well in in good and bad economic conditions um and of course i also saw that meta was up as well the owner of facebook um, now, that was triggered by uh, announcements of it's going to cut another 10,000 jobs and also 5,000 vacancies that hadn't filled yet. They're going to be shut as well. Of course, this is typical stock market reaction. Investors love it when companies cut jobs, which just doesn't seem, you know, you might think, oh, that's a strange reaction. <laughs> it's all down to the thing, OK, well, they're going to have to, you know, they're saving money. That's what it is about. But um, So I think here you've got... The meta shares were up more than five percent on that news, um, and and you know jobs is this big thing. I mean, I think you know if there's going to be worries about the banking sector and the bank, you know, the financial system, more companies are going to sort of look at their you know headcount and think, okay, crikey, maybe we need to be more aggressive on these job cuts. Yeah, and we had some figures out um, just 
yesterday, I think it was. Gosh, so much has happened in the last couple of days um, on, from the UK jobs market. And I think it really is fair to say that we are now starting to see some cracks in the UK jobs sector. So we've had the eight month in a row fall in the number of vacancies that are coming to market, which just suggests that a lot of companies are either reducing headcount or they're not going forward with plans to increase headcount while we're in this sort of state of flux at the moment. Um, And although we've still got over a million vacancies, the fact that that number has dropped off sort of creates an interesting dynamic because we talk a lot about wages and there was um, more figures about uh, wage growth. So pay growth still strong at 6.5%, but it has come down um, a couple of um, 0.2 percentage points from the previous month. And when you start to see the labour market shift, so the power is more in the hands of the employer than the employee, which it really has been over the last couple of years or so, because employers were desperate to get hold of people or keep people, then there's not as much pressure to put up wages. And of course, that is what the Bank of England and the Federal Reserve is very much hoping for, that wage growth will sort of start to slow and then not add to that sticky inflation. But on the flip side of that, we do still have over a million vacancies. And we also have another really interesting phenomenon in the UK jobs market, which is this economic inactivity figure, which is way higher than it was pre-pandemic. And some of that is down to the fact that there are a lot of people suffering from illnesses. There are long-term sick leave. There's a lot of talk about long COVID. Um, there are a lot of issues as well with things like a back and neck injuries. As we've started to work from home, you know, instead of sitting on those lovely ergonomically designed desk chairs, we're all sitting at uh, on our kitchen tables. I'm sat on a wooden chair right now, which is not brilliant for your back. So I maybe need to think about that. But it was one of the things that Jeremy Hunt stressed he was going to do something about in his budget. He billed his budget as a budget for growth. And I think possibly because he was desperate to avoid a repeat of what happened during the mini-budget last year, um, he's gone back to the sort of tried and tested formula of, uh, of dropping breadcrumbs the size of great big sourdough loaves. And certainly, you know, over the last few weeks, we've had loads and loads of announcements of what was expected. And a number of things that were expected did indeed come to pass. Now, Tom and Laith are both going to be along in just a minute to sort of wrap up the whole budget thing. But there's one thing that I really want to touch on particularly because it is something which should help a lot of particularly women back into the jobs market. And that is changes to childcare provision. Now, I remember when I was off on maternity leave and I actually went back to work after six months, but I only went back part time. And just the cost of childcare was just utterly unaffordable. And 30 hours of free childcare is only available at the moment, well, right now, for children aged three and four years old and only if someone works 16 hours a week. But in the budget today, Jeremy Hunt has indeed announced that he is going to extend that childcare provision. So there will now be 30 hours of free childcare 
for kids aged nine months and above, right to the start of school. So that means that you don't have to take time out for work. And I think once you've taken time out for work, it does affect people's confidence and and maybe they've given up work because they've decided not to go back to work or or maybe they've sort of lost that confidence of being in work. So this is something that Jeremy Hunt particularly wanted to deliver and there were an awful lot of cheers certainly in our office when um, this was announced and until we had the small print and unfortunately it's going to take a little while for this to come in so we're not actually going to get the whole thing delivered until September 2025. So it's gradually going to happen. So it's it's a great start. And there's also, uh, importantly, more cash for childcare providers because they've been saying that those free childcare hours are unaffordable. And I know a lot of people have had issues just finding childcare to make use of the existing 30 hours for three and four-year-olds. But he was clearly focused on this economic inactivity figure. Because if the UK wants to achieve growth, it has to increase productivity. And if you have huge gaps in the labour market, then that productivity conundrum just cannot be solved. I think it's quite it's you know interesting uh, interesting development. And it was you know one of many things which uh, the government announced try and help people in, in many different ways. And, and, you know, one to me, it's, it was, um, you know, a key thing stood out. And I, I think something that people have been sort of desperately wanting is, is news on what's happening with energy bills. So the government said it, it will extend the support for energy bills at current levels for another three months. So um, if you think about it, that energy bills in Britain have been due to rise to £3,000 on average from April. But They'll be kept at two and a half thousand pounds until the end of June. Now that, that's good, but it's not. You know, you know, there's, a, there's always a twist in these things, and, and here the thing is, <laughs> always got yeah, a four hundred pound winter payment, fuel payment that's sort of been staggered. Now that will not be renewed when the scheme ends on first of April. So that does mean that household costs will still rise in the short term. But um, I guess something is better. There's nothing in terms of um, getting some extra support here. Yeah, no help though with energy bills for businesses apart from public pools who get to share in a £63 million pot. And I know there's been an awful lot of campaigning on that one. Uh, Dan and I are going to hand over the rest of this week's pod to the fantastic duo that is Tom Selby and Laith Kalaf. Take it away, gents. Yeah, thank you, Dan and Danny. So, Tom. Uh, we're here. We've just uh, we've just had a budget, quite a, quite a lively one, um, I would say. Yeah. Um, quite quite a lot to, to go through. I think um, probably uh, qu- probably the most important bit is, is really in your arena. Really, pensions. Quite significant pensions changes announced today. Can you just run us through those, please? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So I'll caveat that by this by saying um, we're we're, we're in, in the midst of going through all the documents and, and the papers now. We're figuring out some of the details, but in terms of the the headline measures, so so we'd had so we had an expectation that there was going to be something on the lifetime allowance and something on the annual allowance as well. So that had all been quite heavily briefed, but we did get we did get a, a rabbit out of the hat, as it were. So the briefings were that the lifetime allowance was going to be 
increase of the lifetime allowance, which caps the the benefits you can build up in a pension without paying a lifetime allowance charge. That that currently stands at just over a million pounds. The expectation was that was going to go up to 1.8 million pounds. In fact, the Chancellor has announced that the lifetime allowance will be scrapped completely. So we're going to move from uh, where we are now, where where if you if you build up benefits above the lifetime allowance, you can be subject to a tax charge of 55%, depending on how you how you take the money. That charge is going to reduce to 0% for the next tax year. So from April 2023, with the intention then of scrapping the lifetime allowance altogether. So that's a, a good news for, for pension savers, clearly, particularly for, for those who are pushing up against the lifetime allowance at the moment and and good news i think for for the overall complexity of the pension system so Leith, you you'll know as well as me that the, the lifetime allowance is the source of a huge amounts of amount of complexity within the uk's retirement system at the moment so i think the the fact that it's being removed gives an opportunity for us to make things a bit simpler for people which would be would be good news now yeah there's probably some people who've just addressed that complexity who might be a bit angry that it hadn't come sooner but that's always the case with any changes <laughs> like this isn't it yeah exactly and you're also of course there's going to be people who are caught on the wrong side of this as well so people who perhaps have just paid a lifetime allowance charge who are going to be quite angry that they've that they've just done that and the, and the chancellor's just announced that the, the lifetime allowance is going to be removed altogether but that's that's the nature of budgets unfortunately the nature and the nature of surprise announcements like this as well. Now, an important part of the lifetime allowance announcement, and I'll get into some things around the annual allowance as well. So the the lifetime allowance um, caps both the amount that you can save in a pension uh, tax efficiently or tax-free and the uh, the tax-free cash entitlement that you get over your lifetime as well. So you're entitled to a quarter of your pension tax-free, but that's only up to the lifetime allowance. So the lifetime allowance is just over a million pounds at the moment. So the maximum tax-free cash you can get at the moment is just over a quarter of that. So to be exact, £268,275. That's a quarter of the current lifetime allowance. So that's going to remain at the current level. So just over £268,000. So you can continue, you'll be able to, under this system, build up pensions above, oh, as high as you like in retirement and have investment investment growth and not be worried about a lifetime allowance charge. But the maximum tax-free cash you'll be able to, you'll be able to retain will be the same as it is now. So just over thousand pounds yeah and so everything above that is taxable basically but at rate, at, in, at income tax rates is that correct so exactly you just pay yeah. income tax as you do on norm, your withdrawals above tax-free cash at the moment exactly yeah and yeah. so, so the, yeah so so broadly so so clearly they've decided that you know allowing tax-free cash entitlements to build up along with an unlimited lifetime allowance would be too bigger yeah. handouts to people and I think that's understandable. I can see that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because you would potentially end up with huge, huge sums of money. So what we've got here is a removal of lifetime allowance, but a cap on tax-free cash. But it's the same cap that exists at the moment. So it's a, a pretty generous um, budget for, for retirees on on that front. Now, into, I mentioned that we've had some changes to the annual allowance as well. So unfortunately, we do have this complexity within pensions and so we've got different types of annual allowance that exist for for different people depending on their their earnings and what we've done but it's it's good news across 
the board for pension savers. So the the main annual allowance, so that caps the amount that you can save in a pension each year without paying an annual allowance tax charge. That's going up by 50%. So that's going up from £40,000 at the moment to £60,000. We're also seeing the, the money purchase annual allowance. So that's the annual allowance that affects anyone who's flexibly accessed taxable income from their defined contribution pension pot. So that's usually by entering drawdown or taking an ad hoc lump sum. So that's £4,000 at the moment. So your, your annual allowance is reduced to £4,000 if you flexibly access your retirement pot today. That's going to go up to £10,000 for the next tax year. So it means that that people who've flexibly accessed their pension potentially during a, a period of, of high inflation or during strained economic times will just have that bit of extra flexibility to rebuild their retirement pot having accessed their fund. So that's another piece of good news that the third piece of good news is just going to affect very high earners. So we're talking here about the tapered annual allowance so that's uh, that's 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 part part of the pension system that only impacts those right at the top of the income spectrum so at the moment it's kind of a complicated equation in, in terms of working out whether or not you're caught by the the tapered annual allowance but there are, there are two income measures so it's threshold income and adjusted income this is one of those areas where if you haven't engaged with a financial advisor to help you deal with your 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 retirement plans and you think you might be caught by the taper it really does make sense and it's worthwhile to speak to a financial advisor so so broadly you've got these two measures an adjusted income me- measure and a threshold income measure if you breach both of those measures then you're potentially impacted by this taper and the taper can potentially reduce your annual allowance from 40,000 pounds to as low as Four thousand pounds. Now that's the that's the situation today because of the announcement that met, that was made by Jeremy Hunt today. The 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 top top end of that taper, so the adjusted income is going to increase to two hundred and sixty thousand pounds, which makes sense given the change to the annual allowance. And but the maximum drop in your annual allowance is going to fall from £36,000, which is what it is at the moment, down to £30,000. So the lowest your annual allowance will be able to go as a result of the annual allowance taper will be £10,000, whereas at the moment it's £4,000. So that's quite a comprehensive package, pension tax measures. It's far more than anyone was expecting. It, It takes quite a lot to run through as, as as you know because we still have this complexity in the pension system but it's yeah. very good news for pension savers it gives them a lot more flexibility to build retirement pots and rebuild their retirement pot as well if they've accessed their pension and so for i think the first time certainly since i've been at aj bell i'm i'm i'm, I'm reacting to a, to a budget in a generally positive way i think this is <laughs> good news for savers and it, and it ends a trend of well over a decade of of pension tax allowances being being chipped away um, at the edges and huge amounts of complexity being added to the system as well um, so 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 yeah it's it, it clearly pensions top of the bill i think it's fair to say for for this budget and particularly for um, where they always belong tom where they always belong. <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't just about pensions either was it late so you've got you've got a couple no of so yeah plans. yeah so yeah similar to you still reading through a lot of the documentation but um i guess first thoughts in terms of the kind of overall kind of shape um of of the budget um i mean 
it's interesting that, that you know there have been quite quite some I thought some broad based crowd pleasers um, in this one. It kind of almost felt to me that this is maybe maybe the kind of starting gun for the kind of election election sort of campaign because there was a lot of give, giveaways here. I kind of thought that actually some of this might might wait until further down the line. But obviously, what's happened is that since since November, um, you know things have improved. The economy has improved. Um, gas prices have come down. Uh, tax revenues have been more more resilient um, than, than expected, and all of that has meant that the, the it's freed up a bit of money uh, for for the chancellor. What's he gone and done? He's gone and spent a lot of that money um, on these um, you know fairly sort of crowd pleasing uh, policies. So I think pensions uh, pensions is one of them. There are others, for instance, um, expanding expanding uh, childcare support. Um, uh, which is a big one, and also some some allowances uh, for for businesses um, as well, which will probably be be, be looked fa- pretty favourably on uh, in terms of kind of generating investment in the UK. So, still keeping the rise in, in corporation tax tax, but actually allowing businesses to offset that if they're investing um, in the UK. Um, so, um, you know, overall, I think to me it feels a little bit like a, a kind of Hollywood or bust budget because obviously there's a lot of. Um, good stuff in there, positive stuff. Like you said, you're you're talking about this positively from a pension aspect for the first time that you can remember. Um, you know, I'm sure parents are feeling quite 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 good about it. Also, some good news for pub landlords because you know they're kind of um, uh, reduces tax in there. You know, motorists, fuel duty frozen, the childcare stuff. You know, there's lots of of positive stuff there. I think probably the negative aspect, the bust aspect of this, is that the chancellor, as a result of all of this, is sailing very close to the wind in term, terms of meeting his fiscal targets and and the primary fiscal targets so what the chancellor says he wants to do um, is he wants debt falling as a percentage of the economy in five years time okay that used to be three years they've actually moved that to five years to make it a little bit easier to, to meet but he's very very close to to not meeting that so he's got headroom of 6.5 billion pounds that sounds like a lot but actually, it's not. It's not a great deal. It's the lowest headroom that any chancellor's had to meet their target since the OBR was created in 2010. So sailing pretty close to the wind. The OBR reckons that there is a 52% chance that he will meet that fiscal target. Okay, um, so that's so, so that's, that's that's interesting. So I've I've come at the, I've obviously had my head buried in the pension stuff, and I've come at this from a very pensions point of view. And, I, and from that point of view, for anyone who's saving for retirement, this is very positive. But the obvious question, as you mentioned, childcare as well, lots of positive announcements here. The big question to ask is, where's the money coming from? And the answer to that question is that the the headroom in terms of potentially meeting those fiscal targets, it would have been presumably a lot easier to do that if they hadn't announced these significant giveaways in pensions and in childcare and other areas as well. Is that that's fair? right? Yeah, and the energy price, the extension of the energy yes. price freeze as well, which we haven't mentioned because it's we, we knew about it two days ago when they leaked into the papers. <laughs> so it's funny, isn't it? We're kind of catching up on news that's already be, already been leaked. But um, so yes, absolutely, absolutely correct. So there's there's obviously a decision here to, to to implement those policies and to say, well, actually, we'll play it a bit fast and loose with you know kind of the um, you know the, the the headroom that we have, and you can maybe make, make an argument for that. In that, obviously, that headroom is based on economic forecasts, um, and those may or may not come come to pass. But they might may or may not come to pass in a positive or or a negative way. And the risk now, I think, is that 
um, if we have any sort of adverse economic shock, it doesn't even have to be particularly big. And the OBR, the next time we get their forecasts in November or in, in the autumn, comes back and says, well, actually, that headroom is gone and you're no longer meeting your fiscal target. Well, then we're, we're the chances in a bit of a tricky situation because he rips up the fiscal target that he's only just set or he actually tries and... Um, you know, balances the books by actually, you know, kind of raising taxes or, or cutting public spending, so delivering some bad news further down the line. So I guess what he's hoping is that you do the giveaway now and things just go well. <laughs> okay, <laughs> things just go well, and actually, the you know, maybe we get some positive surprises, and actually, there's a bit more headroom next time. Um, because if they don't go well, there's going to be some difficult questions that he's going to have to ask answer. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, obviously, as as mentioned, this has been our our kind of initial take on a budget that only happened a few hours ago. So there's going to be loads more content and information for for you as as listeners and for readers as well coming down the track in the next few days. I know, particularly from, from my part of view, I'll be digging into some of the the gristle of some of the the pension changes and some of the impacts on people who've got slightly more complex needs so so once we've got a, a better idea of of those things then there'll be there'll be plenty more coming for you from uh, from shares and from aj bell as well yep thanks for listening cheers before you go please remember this podcast is for educational purposes and the views expressed don't necessarily reflect those of aj bell or shares magazine the podcast isn't telling you whether certain investments are suitable or not And don't forget that the value of investments can change and you can lose money as well as make it. It's also important to remember that tax rules apply and that the way an investment performed in the past may not be the same as how it behaves in the future. If you want help, go see a qualified financial advisor.